0: I have iron sights at eleven o'clock, and when I train, I train both ways using the optic and the iron sights. Cool. I would never want to lose that that critical skill because you never know what tool you're going to have to pull out of the toolbox at, the, at the time of um, catastrophic failure. You know, just Very anything true. going around you. So, so cool. is, do you I'm have sorry, iron,
1: iron sights or uh, a red dot on that iron back there? Is that iron? Uh... Oh, you can no, see that iron. The Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Necro. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now,
2: your hosts... This episode is brought to you by Mantis. Mantis X helps shooters suck less. Meet the Pressers is sponsored by Next Level Training, Sabre Red, Cutting Edge Bullets, the USCCA, McLean Corporation, ASP, Custom Poker Chip Company, Common Sense Self-Defense, and T1 Ammunition. Meet the Pressers is also generously supported by these fine companies, ranges, and our Patreon members. Thank you.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Meet the Pressers. I'm Matt Mallory and my esteemed co-host, Clint Macro, here to say hi to you. And we've got a very special guest.
3: Yeah, our guest today is an Arizonan. He's a trigger presser from way back. He does competitive shooting. His day job is a photojournalist, but one of the main reasons we have him on the show here today is because he has experienced something that we talk about in all of our defensive classes. He's been through a dynamic critical incident, and it's a, a very unique one. So I would like to introduce Thomas Yoxel. Thomas, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for so, coming. So
3: uh, would, would you tell the story? Uh, we first met you with uh, Cheryl Todd. She introduced us to you at a SHOT Show, and she says yeah. you got to hear this guy's story. And, and so uh, we met with you very briefly. You, you told us the story. It's like my, our viewers need to hear this story.
0: Definitely. So. Before, sure. Um, so January twelfth, uh, twenty seventeen, um I was actually heading west on I ten, uh, to Disneyland of all places. Uh, I was traveling uh with a companion and uh it was approximately four thirty in the morning. Uh and we came across a scene where an Arizona state trooper, and we didn't know this at the time, but he'd already been shot in the right shoulder. Wow. Um, Bad guy was on top of him, and when I say that, think of a UFC fight where one fighter has the other one in full mount and just mm-hmm. landing blows and slamming, slamming his head into the asphalt. You know, I exit vehicle, um, ask trooper if he needs assistance. He gives an affirmative. Uh, tell the bad guy to stop. Uh, bad guy doesn't stop, and I'm forced to uh, use lethal force uh, to stop the situation. And that's, I mean, that's really encapsulating in a nutshell. I, I get that, but those are the broad strokes uh, before we break it down. Um, My companion um, called 911, you know, I turned to her, call 911, so she's relaying information, um, mile marker, what's going on, um, and then as soon as that threat is neutralized, um, I go into first responder mode and provide uh, assistance to the trooper until, you know, help arrives. Could you explain
3: about how how you recognize what was going on? What drew your attention and, you know, through that recognition process where you decided, yes, I'm going to intervene here. I'm going to come to this person's aid.
0: Um, so for those who know uh, Arizona and that stretch, of I-10, um, there's uh, a road uh, called Miller Road. Um, and there's a truck stop there. And we had stopped at the truck stop, you know, top off the tank, get road snacks, coffee. It's it's Again, it's four o'clock in the morning, quarter after four at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get back onto I-10 and we start heading West, the next exit is Interstate 8, which will take you to Yuma, San Diego. Well, Trooper Anderson actually gets onto the I-10 at that point. His lights are already on and he's bombing down the freeway, the interstate. Um, so at that point we already knew something was going on. You know, it's like, oh, someone's having a bad start to their day. You know, hopefully everybody's all right. Now, as we continue to drive, we see his lights again in the distance and, you know, they're getting closer and. And I actually noticed that vehicles are moving from the number two lane to the number one lane. And to me, that says accident, maybe road debris. Uh, They're giving the trooper some space who's in, you know, that right shoulder area, lane uh, two area. And then as we get even closer, I notice his flare pattern. And to me, knowing law enforcement, I have friends in law enforcement, that flare pattern says, hey, divert. Um, so now I'm really thinking vehicle accident, road debris, and I don't want to add to the situation. So I had reduced my speed significantly, and I'm now straddling the left shoulder and lane one. When we get up to the back of his uh, patrol vehicle and those road flares, we see him directly in front of the vehicle, and like I said, the bad guy's on top of him, you know, slamming his head into the concrete and and just and hitting him. So at that point, again, everything was automatic. So born and raised in Arizona, I started shooting at the age of five, started hunting at the age of six, and I could say I actively started training at the age of 21. I was 44 when this happened. So this is 23 years of training, 23 years of me telling myself, I'm going to be the one that intervenes in a situation like this. And so everything from that point on was an automated response. There was no stopping to think. It was just... I've always put it, it was just by the numbers. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's what I was always said I was going to do. Um, so I, I look at my companion and I tell her to call 911. I give my uh, vehicle some gas because in my head, I need so much space to adequately work safely if I'm going to, you know, uh, render a positive outcome response. That's so when I exit my vehicle, you know, guns in my hand, I'm already in the close red And to try to put it in perspective for those watching, I am now turned around and I am facing east and I'm looking directly at, uh, the troopers cruiser. And there's a gap of about 80 feet, give or take. And I step to, uh, what would be if you look at think of it as me in the six o'clock position and the troopers in the 12 o'clock position, I step towards the nine o'clock because his lights are on and they're blinding me a little mm-hmm. bit. That's just, again, it was automated. It was step and I'm advancing this whole time though. Um, there was a dead female already on the scene and that's when, you know, thinking back on it now, you know, subconsciously I'm checking off threats, dead female. She's not a threat. I could see the bad guy doesn't have anything in his hands weapons wise. So that's another, you know, no threat off the list. Trooper still has his gun holstered, not a threat. Um, I see a gun in the number one lane with a slide lock back. So again, at this point, I'm coming up on the 12 o'clock. I'm already bridged a significant amount of space. Trooper, do you need assistance? He yells out the affirmative. And I, you know, I have a strong voice and I yell out to the bad guy to stop. He tells me to shut up. Like he literally says, shut up. And at this point I had circled around to roughly the two o'clock position because also in my head, I'm thinking clear line of fire, clear line of fire. I don't want this trooper to be in my line of fire. Um, but as soon as he tells me to shut up, he lifts his arms up to strike the trooper again. And that's when I pushed forward. Um, I fired four times. At the time, I thought I only fired three, but of course, forensics, and the detective work. Um, But I struck him three times. It was once to center mass and twice to the head, um, effectively putting an end, a very quick end to the situation. Um, At that point, again, uh, one bad guy, possibly two. So, you know, I'm kind of looking to see if there's anything else I need to be aware of. Assessing your situation. Yeah, before I holster back, well, I didn't even have a holster, but before I released and kind of uh, uh, come back from that posture, um, my companion had just gotten off the phone with 911. And so I leaned down by the trooper. I let him know that everything's going to be okay. I literally told him that guy's not going to bother me anymore. Where are you injured? You know, this is my name. I'm Thomas. Where are you injured? Get a first aid kit out of his vehicle. And so now I'm in that uh, first responder mode. Um I know that there's only so much I can do, uh, based on the poor first aid kit that we had, um, and now it's just it's it's a waiting game.
1: The lady that was on the ground expired when you arrived. Um, what was her relationship to the
0: situation? So um, the bad guy and the female uh, were boyfriend and girlfriend, and they were actually traveling westbound on I-10, uh, going towards uh, Tonopah. Bad guy. Uh, has a negligent discharge. He discharges his gun twice in the vehicle, causes the vehicle to roll over out into the the right shoulder area into the desert. He's seat belted. She's not. She gets ejected and dies on impact. He crawls out of the vehicle with his gun. Um, The initial reports that Trooper Anderson responded to were of a car accident. So when he arrives on the scene, he sees he sees the suspect holding the dead girlfriend yep. and Trooper Anderson, when he and I talked about it, he's like, he was speaking Spanish. I couldn't understand him. He starts pointing out to the desert. He takes his flashlight. He sees the vehicle. And now in his head, I'm dealing with a rollover accident. That's what I'm going to radio. what it is as that's what I'm setting uh, flare patterns for. Yep. Um, and while Trooper Anderson setting those flares, he doesn't realize the bad guy, you know, drops his dead girlfriend, comes around to the passenger side of uh, Trooper Anderson's cruiser. Trooper Anderson shut, closes the door. He looks, and now all he sees is the dead female. He starts scanning around for the bad guy. He comes around the front of his vehicle to the passenger side. bad guy's already there with his gun pushed out. Mm. It's the last bullet in the bad guy's gun, and it wow. hits Trooper Anderson in the right shoulder but barely misses his best. Blows out his joint, travels down, exits through the back. Luckily, it didn't hit anything internally. Wow. And the fight starts at that point And the bad guy hit Trooper Anderson in the top of the skull with his gun, slide locked back. Trooper Anderson is trying to grab his gun. He can't. Now he realizes, oh, crap, I'm shot. And he's fighting this guy. And this guy is just hitting him with a gun. And then they're down on the ground. And Trooper Anderson is trying to kick him out in the street. They figured he fought for about four minutes um, before I got there. Um, and initially, well, I shouldn't say initially. There was a couple of times where uh, people had said, ah, oh, you know, that cop, he, you know, he got surprised and he couldn't fight that guy off and everything. And I'm like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to shoot you in the shoulder and then right. I'm going to crack your skull with a friggin' you know, open yeah, yeah. gun. Yeah. And we're going to see how long you hold up.
1: With 50 pounds minutes with, of a lifetime. Yeah. With 50 pounds of gear
0: on one yeah. armed. Yeah. Right. Um, so Trooper Anderson, I refer to him as one of the most badass Spartans I know because he fought like no other. First DPS rolls up on the scene, uh, Sergeant uh, Bill Westick, uh, very beautiful man, just generous. He was a good, good person. But when he rolled up, he rolled out hot. I mean, he came out of his cruiser with his AR slung and drawn down in that close ready position. And, and again, as I'm waiting for this, I'm thinking, I know what's going to happen. So I take, and some people were like, I can't believe he did that. But I took my gun and I put it in the right shoulder. At, at this point, I know there's no other danger, but I also know law enforcement's coming and they have limited information and they just mm-hmm. know that one of their brothers that's been shot, he's been injured. And so they're going to come in hot. Yep. So as soon as he exits his vehicle, my hands go up in the air. My name's Thomas. This is Trooper Anderson. You have a dead female behind me about 60 feet. This is your dead suspect. My gun is over here on the right shoulder bad guy's gun is in lane number one and give him as much information as I possibly can. So now he can take control of the situation and he can start to bring his levels Process down a little it. bit. Yep. Um, and then next thing you know, we hear the air vac and then it, it was like Christmas in January with the amount of lights. I mean, it was like, you hmm. close your eyes for a second, opened them up and there were dozens of vehicles, law enforcement and first responders both. Wow. Um, and that's when things just, I mean, you, your brain defends itself it defends you by defending itself so they separate us which they have to it's protocol and i'm in um, sergeant Westex cruiser and the thing i'm thinking is i'm looking at my watch going you know if i can get back on the road here maybe the next hour i could be rush hour traffic you know this is you know i'm still in good shape here um he gets in the cruiser, you know, by this time he has the suspect's ID. I see three IDs. I immediately know. And some people are like, well, that's kind of prejudicial of you. I'm sorry. The guy was Hispanic with three IDs. He was an illegal. I knew it just by that standard issue protocol of what I was saying. Um, but now I'm starting to write what I refer to as um, my shitty first draft. And that's not my phrase. It's somebody else's. But that's what I was doing. Because if Trooper Anderson doesn't make it, it's my fault. I didn't respond quickly enough. I didn't render proper enough aid. And I'm really starting to freak out about this. I'm also concerned about my companion because she's in another cruiser and she literally just saw me blow somebody's brains out. And I mean, that last shot opened up the back of the bad guy's skull and everything went out on the I 10. Um, So now I'm starting to get anxious. And at this point, they allow me. Uh, to talk to my companion. She gave perfect information to the 911 operator for not having any type of formal training or anything. She, you know, acted flawlessly, um, you know, making sure she's okay. And then they shuffle me to a first responder vehicle that's uh, in the left shoulder on by lane number one. I'm still in the westbound lanes. So she it,
3: stayed on with the 911 operator through the whole situation?
0: Yes. And she's relaying information, um, the best that she can, um, given the, the situation and how fast it went down from the time I exited in my truck to the time I fired that last shot. Um, they said it was somewhere between seven to 10 seconds, you know, I'll say fast. 10 seconds, um, but it was fast, yeah. faster than what people think. And when you look at the totality of it, where I had to bridge roughly 80, 85 feet. And I, I saw, I finally saw the picture of my truck There's a gap of space, a huge fire truck, a gap of space. And then, I mean, that was a distance. Um, But to be able to bridge that gap effectively, fire four times and hit three at 430 in the morning with the only light I have is whatever light's coming off the trooper's vehicle. I mean, I thought I did pretty good. Um, How much coffee did you have? I mean, (laughs) I hadn't even had a chance to finish my first cup. I'm telling you. So... There was a lot of, once they put me in that first responder vehicle, it, it starts sinking in. Yeah. I reach out to my kids via text message and some people that I know um, saying, hey, I'm okay, but you're going to see something on the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you do, don't talk to me because now in my head, I'm fearful. Mm-hmm. Media is going to find out who I am. I don't want them harassing people right. that I know. I certainly don't want them looking for me. Um, and I think it was at that point that a uh, female firefighter from Buckeye called me a hero. And I immediately said, no, I'm not a hero. Uh, God got involved here. You know, this was all God's work. He's the one who gave me the courage and the will to do this. And, you know, that's what I firmly believed. And that's kind of part of the story as far as when I give my presentation that coming back to the faith and this just really solidified it for me. Um, Now from there, they actually shuffle me into a fire truck, an actual fire engine. And I'm sitting in the back. I'm thinking in my head, what do you, you know, when you're gonna drive, you're dressed comfortably. So I'm in a pair of 5'11 tack shorts, a t-shirt and a hoodie, I'm freezing. I haven't had my coffee and now people are going, hey, do you need anything? Do you need anything? Yeah, my coffee and my can of skull that's in my truck. Okay, (laughs) because this is, this is not good. And still in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm going, man, if we could just hurry up and get back on the road, (laughs) you know, we can get there. Um, but then again, I I couldn't get really get any information about uh, Trooper Anderson and that was again, freaking me out. I'm, I'm asking, you know, how Heidi's doing and I'm I'm concerned about her well Um, at some point I realized I did have a can of school in that side pocket and here's the thing, just my hands were bloody. They were bloody from the bad guy, they were bloody from Trooper Anderson. I can't wash my hands because I need to swab them. But what do I do? I still take it to the skull because, you know what, damn it, I needed one, so I didn't care at that point. Stress. Um, Blood, bloodborne pathogen was not on your mind. No, right? it wasn't, it was getting a fix. Um,
3: well, there that might be a skull commercial right there.
0: there <laughs> skull sponsor. So good that I, need, I just had to have yeah. it. Um, <laughs> now, at that point, um, you know, uh, DPS upper commands there. Um, uh, Tim Mason was actually the one that was running the scene at the time from what I can remember. Um, I, and again, everybody did such an amazing job and they were as courteous as they can be. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's a crime scene. Yep. It doesn't matter what I say. They still have to prove that that's what actually yeah, happened. Exactly. Um, at some point, uh, Detective Lamb from DPS approached me and he said, hey, we wanna ask you some questions. We wanna get your official statement. You don't have to talk to me, but I would like you to. In my mind, I had done nothing wrong. I had nothing to fear. This was, right. in my opinion, a clean shoot. And I said, yes, whatever you need. And But in my head too, I'm thinking, God, okay, this will be it. I talked to him and you know, I can get on the road. <sighs> Um, that whole mentality of getting away from the scene as far away from the scene was safety. Driving away meant safety to me. Being back Mm -hmm. in my truck meant safety to me. Um, So they took us back to Buckeye. Uh, We did the formal interviews at Buckeye PD. Um, Again, they were very... Polite. And you
3: did this without a lawyer there,
0: absolutely. And I tell everybody, you know, hey, I probably did this completely wrong, but I'm also a firm believer that if your heart of hearts you know you're right, there's nothing to hide. You know, I, I, there was no fear in my head as far as that goes. And, and we can debate the the sense of that. Um, and I've taken plenty of critical incidents classes where they say, hey, you should wait, you know, a minimum. No, I I do know.
3: believe this is a very very special case. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> This, sure. this wasn't like two people that were involved in an exchange. This was right. you coming to the aid of a, of a law, enforcement. law enforcement officer. Right.
0: Was Who was in jeopardy. Yeah. And so um, we gave our statements. They weren't quite ready for us to, uh, to take us back to my truck. Uh, so Detective Lamb bought us lunch. And that was very awkward because, you know, you know how do you make small talk? You know, it still hasn't processed everything that, that happened to me. It's still very like, oh, this is no big deal. I'm really thinking this is no big deal. I did what I always said I would do. I'm happy now that I know the trooper's going to be okay. Um, and yeah, let's just get on with the day. Um, so they finally got us back to the vehicle. Um, as we're walking to the vehicle, they have the yellow tarp over uh, the bad guy's body. Um, I have grown men coming up to me in tears thanking me, which freaked me out. Um, and now I'm just, I'm, I'm back closed off again, you know, I, the truck's so close, I just want to get in the truck and go. Hmm. Um, so we finally make it to the truck. We get in, uh, we start driving. Now here's where people don't understand the the harshness of it. When I fired that last shot, boom, it had actually hit the bad guy up underneath the throat. And like I said, it, it exploded the top of his head. I'm knelt down, I'm giving aid to Trooper Anderson, and I'm watching blood actively uh, pump out of the entry wound. And I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of odd. And this is all happening in the flash. It's kind of odd. There's blood still pumping out, it's steaming. Well, you know, it's January, it's super cold outside right now, and, you know, the body's 98.7 degrees. I'm rationalizing it in my head. Well, now as I get in the truck and I start driving, that's the only thing I'm seeing. It's burned in and I can't see anything else other than his head opening up and blood pumping
1: out. And it keeps replaying over and over and over
0: and over. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is just not cool. Um, by the time we made it to Anaheim and got checked in, it had gone coast to coast and there was actually, uh, the BBC in the UK had picked up the story. Wow. And now I'm really, really freaked out, um because again, I don't want media to find out who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I just want things to be normal, and I didn't realize at that point that that would never be the case again you know, in your in your mind dead.
1: you're in your mind, you're a good good Samaritan, you just did what what an average person would do, and you know you wanted to go about your life the rest of the way. I yeah. saved the cop I did what i you know I did what had to be done, done yep. And, and it, you want to go ride it, the teacup at Disney? Yeah, you, I mean <laughs> Disney, Disneyland. Here we come! Right, it's a small like just, world. It's like you just saved a trooper. Where are you going? We're going. It's I'm going to Disney, Disney World. world.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we ended up cutting the trip short. I, I tell you, as soon as we cross the California Arizona state line, there's a trooper that has somebody pulled over. You know, eastbound I-10 comes right back. I immediately flop, sweat, shaking hands grip the steering wheel and the white knuckle into my head. I'm like, Oh God, not again, not again, not again. And so, and that's when I started realizing, you know, there may be a problem here, you know, because it's, it, there was no controlling that train once it left the station. And that's another thing that people don't understand, especially when I talk about the PTSD Um, and it, you know, and I'm not ashamed. I still see a therapist. I actually saw her yesterday. She's a great gal. I don't see her as often anymore, but it was a uh, Phoenix PD uh, officer by the name of James Bird. Uh, he and I were having a conversation, and he's been involved in a few use of lethal force incidents. And he said, you really have to accept and believe that it's never going to be the same. And, and once you do that, you can really start to move forward. Um, and then he said that to me uh, about four or five months after the shooting. And, and I was having issues. I, I didn't want to sleep. The nightmares were so bad. Um, At that point, I had already done the press conference, so people knew me, they knew my face, um, and it didn't almost seem like it didn't matter where I went, somebody recognized me. And so when they're coming up to either shake my hand and say thank you or give me a hug and say thank you, um, it was bringing it all back. Um, The first time I had a widow, uh, which was, I felt horrible for her because I'm at a law enforcement engagement. And they gave me a plaque, which was very thoughtful of them. But they come off the stage, and she comes up to me, and she's crying, and she gives me a hug, and she's like, "I wish somebody was there for my husband, like you were there, trooper." There's no way to respond to that. Mm -hmm. All I could do is start crying and just to feel her hurt that she had. um, That's that's part of it. People don't get that. That's part of it, and it and it it, it's a real thing. Um, And most people just want to hear about hey, you shot the bad guy and that was great, woohoo! They don't right. want to hear about anything else. And in my presentation, I call it the pre-fight, the p- fight, and the post-fight. And the post-fight is that aftermath and dealing with everything and coming to grips with it. Um, I had actually reached out to my pastor uh, from California, from Anaheim. And he's like, hey, you did the right thing. You saved a man's life. And sure, you had to take one in order to do it, but that other person was obviously evil. They were a bad person they were intent on hurting anybody that they could. Um, and he's like, and that might not offer you any comfort now. Um, but just know that the good guy went home and Trooper Anderson's a great guy. He and I have become really good friends. When our schedules allow, we see each other, we hang out. Um, he's got two daughters. He's got a couple grandkids. His, his wife is super nice. We've been married for umpteen years. Um, he's going to be coming up on his medical retirement here just a little bit. So good for him 30 years serving the community. Um, but this guy's, a uh, youth sports coach for his uh, local high school for uh, volleyball and softball, and he gives back to his community uh, on a daily basis. And so to know that he's really, truly one of the good guys, regardless of the uniform, this guy is generous uh, beyond his means, and he just does it because that's the type of person he is. Um, And and the goodness that he provides it it spreads and spreads
3: and spreads, you know, you look at like like it's a wonderful life We watch that at Christmas time and you think how many good people touch other good people and that just continues to grow And And that could have
0: ended that night had you not intervened to save somebody's life I I think is a a great gift um, and a great blessing for anybody to to experience but I think on the circumstances, it comes with a price. Uh, one of the questions I've been asked a lot, you know, obviously I still carry. You know, they asked it at the press conference: Would you do it again in a heartbeat? This is who I am. I don't know any other way to be other than to protect, protect, and defend anybody who is being victimized uh, by a stronger individual. I will stand up in defense for that person. It's I've always been that way, um, and I'm not ashamed about it. Um, in my youth, have I gotten my ass kicked a couple times because I stood up to the bigger guy for the smaller guy? Sure, same but way. at the end of the day, um, that's who I was born to be.
1: Just like the the Ferguson effect with law enforcement being timid of doing their job because of what happened in Ferguson, right. Missouri, um, you know, we're seeing the same aspect of it on the flip side of it, and I've coined it the Zimmerman effect right. mindset of you don't you don't even want to do what's right to keep your neighborhood safe and fear that you know your life's going to get turned upside down. So. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to do the right thing when um, most people could just drive right by, right? Diffusion, and a lot of people did,
0: yeah, unfortunately. Diff-
1: diffusion of responsibility. That's not my yeah. That's not my problem. I, I,
0: I'm just going to keep my – I'm not going to pay attention to that. If hearing my story helps somebody, either A, realize that I probably need to rethink my stance in carrying a firearm, mm-hmm. or B, when I tell people, especially about the – the after effects and the PTSD, and my big thing is um, keeping it inside and everything. That's not courageous. That's right. that's a defense mechanism we have. Being vulnerable with your hurt is one of the most courageous things you could possibly do. When you told me your story,
1: as far as the blood and the brains, it, it brought me back to some some things that I've dealt with, and it's you know, it, and it comes back. And there's been times in my life where something horrific happened or or I saw, and it it just it's in, and it's in a loop and you can't get rid of it. And no matter how much you think about it, no matter how much you breathe or no matter what you do to try to get that out of your head and focus on something else, it's like, it's literally like you're in groundhog day. It's there over and over and over and over and time talking about it and, um, and people that understand and that can communicate with you and talk to you about it and and you can relate with that. That's what helps heal those wounds. But it, it is a wound. It's a, it's a mental wound that needs, addressing. You know,
3: we not only want to win that physical encounter, hopefully by avoidance altogether. Right. But there is that legal and that that social and that moral aftermath that we're most certainly going to have to deal with. And I think a lot of times people that just train on the square range, they lose sight of all this other stuff. And in your case, the the legal nightmare wasn't nearly what it may have been like with George Zimmerman. Right. Because, you know, I, I think what you what you went through specifically with being a law enforcement officer and coming to, right. coming to his aid definitely may have taken you a little bit out of that legal, legal aftermath, uh, especially because he could attest to the fact of what actually went down. But yeah. the moral and the social, I mean, what you're dealing with is something that people need to recognize is something they're very, very likely going to be dealing with, too, if they find
0: themselves in this situation. There were, you know, plenty of people. How come he didn't shoot? How come he didn't shoot to wound the person? Why did he have to kill him? No. You know, I've had people when they find out I killed somebody in self-defense of somebody else, they shun me. You know, no. they're so anti-gun, anti-whatever, they just completely are dismissive of me, and they shun me, and they don't even want to speak to me. And again, that's the road they choose to walk. That's fine. You no. know, that's their business. So there is that stigma to some extent um, when people find out. And the confrontation as far as uh, people like, oh, my God, I want to hear how you smoke that guy. And I would do the same um, thing. And, yeah. you know, the tech tards and tryhards is what I refer yeah. to them as. And I get offended. I'm like, OK, so let's back up a little bit and realize this is not Hollywood. Right. This was a traumatic experience. And if you're looking forward to the day that you get tested, stop. Sell your right, gun right. to the gun shop and take up knitting or crocheting or something because Agreed. you are, are not the person who should be doing it. And these are obviously people who I think, A, have nothing better to do, but B, probably have never been involved in an actual physical encounter yeah, you know, uh, in their right. lives, so they can't attest to uh, that, uh, again, that totality and what's going on and just the, the snap, quick, quick, quick judgments you have to make. Um, and at the end of the day, you hope you chose you know, correctly and, and did the right thing. Well, uh, I,
3: I think you did because you are here and that officer
1: is here.
0: Yeah. I, oh, I, think- I agree looking
3: to your faith, in my opinion, is, is, is a great thing. And and I'm very glad that you mentioned that here on the show. Definitely.
1: Here. Yeah. We're both, we're, we try to get interject that into the show as much as possible too, because those are the, the things, politics and, and faith are the two things that, that we made a pledge to make sure that we have on our show that a lot yeah. of sh- other shows don't.
0: Well, and I think that's great. Um, I know, uh, sometimes when i've told my story i've had a couple people go or it could have just been luck or oh it was coincidence yeah no i'm gonna stand on the rock that says that was god that got involved um a couple of interesting things so my two vehicles on the back of my toyota tundra i have the back window wrapped completely with a thin blue line flag and it's the scripture joshua 19. because the sunday uh before the shooting i'm in church and you know, the pastor gives a sermon, but always they got the note sheet and I'm taking notes, but there's always a scripture at the bottom. And sometimes it relates to what the, um, uh, what we were talking about. And sometimes it does not And that Sunday it was Joshua one nine and I'm reading it. And right now I'm getting goosebumps and overwhelmed with emotion thinking, but I'm reading it. And I break down in tears because it was the first time in my life that I really felt forgiveness on my heart from the Lord above. And I couldn't explain it my friend Chris Harrell's there with me and he's like oh my god are you okay and I'm like oh I don't know I can't explain how good I feel four days later I'm involved in the shooting I'm saving a man's life now if you fast forward the next time I go to church it's Isaiah 6 eight, mm-hmm. and that's on the back of my other vehicle because those those scriptures are so powerful to me and what they mean and what they represent to me and how they truly changed my life I I could never or would want to shy away or feel ashamed from, uh, speaking about my faith and my testimony to people about that, uh, whether they want to accept it or not, that's their business, but you know, I could never talk about what happened and not give thanks and praise to, to my Lord and savior. It would be wrong on, on my part to do. And I think people should understand that. Um, my story as a whole, knowing who I was and what I went through and everything that drove me to that moment, um, was God's will. And and when people go will explain that to me. So I was a contractor for roughly 18 years, subcontractor. I did commercial and industrial plumbing. March of 2015, I literally woke up and said, I'm resigning, I'm quitting. Today is the day. I called the office, I wrote out a letter of resignation, I gave six months, I went back to school during the course of going back to school, I take photography as an elective. I fall in love with it, you know, I meet this person, Heidi, and she's a Disneyland person and does marathons. And so that's why I'm actually on the way to Disneyland with her. Wow. If I wouldn't have listened to that thing when I woke up at 0400 in the morning saying, this is the day I'm quitting, I'm done with this, mm-hmm. and just kept going forward with it, none of that would have ever happened. Yeah. If I would have woke up late if we would have lingered, you know, one moment longer at the quick mm. trip. There's so many things oh, that people don't appreciate that had to be perfect that morning.
1: I really think that, you know, what Clint and I get to try to get across to our students is is the exact replica of what had happened. This is why we tell our students so much. It's imperative not to be in that fight. Do right. every You will win 1000% of the fight you're not in, right. but that doesn't mean ignore a situation that you can make change in, right? I mean, yeah. the, the Lord puts you in that position, just like you said, everything lined up. And and there's been times that, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm here because of, it. and I can trace it back and say, if I hadn't done this one thing or met this one person, right. I can literally look at two or three people in my life that I, we're sitting here and I'm looking at you right now uh, and thanking God that you were there for that trooper because of one or two people that I, decided to go out and do this one thing. And that led to me having a training company going forward all these years. And now a show with this great man, Clint macro. So, you know, and I try to tell my kids that too, my son's like, Oh, I hate working at this job. I'm like, well, but don't look at it that way. Do the best you can do. And maybe some executive from a company is going to come in and look at you and say, man, you're a really hard worker. Why don't you come work for me? I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars a year. You yeah. can't, you can't look at the little things and say, you know, this really, su-. I mean, you still do look at the little, right. things. And say, <laughs> We're but you do the best you can in hopes that what you're doing pays off in other ways, or even in that same, that same situation, maybe you get a pay raise, something
0: yeah. like that. Yeah, and, and I think it is it, everything um, and I refer to it as, you know, it's the Lord's time. I mean, to coming from a person, me being a person who had devout faith and then, you know, losing that faith because of things that had happened in my life, but then coming back to it, I, I think, I believe, I shouldn't say, I think, I believe that's what needed to happen. That was the road that I had to travel and walk down. And like you said, as far as, you know, you win a thousand percent of the fights that uh, that you're in or you're not in. I tell people that you don't train uh, because it guarantees a win or a victory. You train to improve your odds of a positive outcome, no matter what, uh, mm-hmm. the job that you do, law enforcement, photography, being a doctor, you know, firearms instructor, yep. you train to improve your odds of a, a successful positive outcome. And when I say that, Um, I could see the gears start to turning. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. Because nothing is guaranteed. I mean, everything could have gone horribly wrong that morning. You know, the gun could have jammed. I could have missed all my shots. You know, they could have had a gun that I didn't happen to see, even though I'm counting those things down. The only time that I had a breakdown initially was when they were questioning me and they said, you know, start, stop, start, stop as far as the interview process. And, you know, he asked, you know, what were you thinking? You know, when you get there and you see that and I hadn't thought about it until that moment. And I was actually overcome with hurt for Trooper Anderson because this is a man who's given selflessly at that point, 28 years of his life to law enforcement. And he's thinking, this is it. I'm gonna die alone in the desert on my back and no one's coming to help me. And it was so real for me to feel that. And it was just so overwhelming and no person should ever be put in that situation. Where they feel that alone and that abandoned by everybody, mm-hmm. um, and it was so hard for me. And then at the time, you know, it, it, you know, and then I stopped, and they said, "Hey, let's take a break and everything." But it was just so real. And then over the course of Ed and I meeting, seeing each other and talking and everything like that, and we talked about it. He said that that's what what he was feeling. He's like, wow. "Dude, he's like, I tried kicking him off, hoping that he could get a, hit by an oncoming vehicle or something." And then, mm-hmm. you know. I was ready to give up. I was at the end and then you showed up. And so to hear that and talk to him about it and everything and still it feels very real to me now and everything like that, but people just don't get You know, they really don't. And so, again, being on the show and people seeing this and everything like that, they need to realize it's real. I mean, we're over three and a half years or coming up on three and a half years. And it still feels sometimes it's like yesterday Mm -hmm. uh, with some of those emotions. Uh, And that's it. That's the that's the sacrifice we're willing to make as armed civilians and saying this is the line that we're going to hold on a daily basis. And no one is going to hurt you on my watch personally. And this is what I'm willing to sacrifice. Glad, you know, gladly, here it is. Um, that's part of it. You know, I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't turn to alcohol. I was very fortunate, Mm -hmm. but I could see and understand so well how people could because there were times where I wasn't sleeping for a day and a half, two days, I would literally pass out. I would have these horrific nightmares. I'd wake up and go, well, let's see how long I can keep not sleeping. Um, but I could see where people would turn to, you know, alcohol and 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 uh, drugs to to help them cope with that. Yeah,
1: to dull the pain.
0: Yeah, it's a hurt that's hard to describe, and unless you've experienced yourself, you you can't, like you said, you can't fully fathom it. Or those right. triggers. Um, the first time I was on the range after the shooting, the guns, the gunpowder, the smell of the gunpowder. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the first time I was actually riding with DPS. <laughs> It was a deer in the road that somebody hit and the trooper had to put it down. And so after she does it, she does it. And anybody who's hunted elk, you know, they're stout animals. She does it with a rifle. She does it with a headshot. Well, I grabbed the deer. I'm dragging it out of the road. But what am I doing? I can smell the blood, completely smell the blood. I can smell the gunpowder. I'm looking at cruiser lights hitting me right in the face. I was back on that mile marker 89. And at that point, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done for the night. So all those things are still very real. But again, if you're talking with it, with people who have experienced it before seeking uh, quality professional help. Cause I'll tell you what, the gal that I initially talked to that was a department therapist, uh, she was nothing more than a glorified family counselor. and She actually made it worse. And I literally told her, it was the fourth time I saw her, you know what, I'm doing great. If I need you, I'll call you because she was actually messing me up more than, mm-hmm. than what I was experiencing. So um, all, all those key components. And I don't feel that there's enough access to that especially for law enforcement and first responders. Mm -hmm. I believe most of those contracts go to the lowest bidder. So it's not, I'm not saying that someone who charges a minimal amount isn't good. That's not what I'm saying. But there's not a whole lot of bona fides when it comes to that. And the stigma still that we have to, under any circumstances, have to be that alpha, that chest thumping alpha, nothing's gonna get to us, nothing's gonna hurt us. And that's just not the case.
1: Anybody out there that's dealing with something like this, hmm. that don't give up on one one counselor like like you did. You had the counselor. You realized that that wasn't helpful. You sought extra help. You understood yes. that I've got to have have extra. You know, help somebody else. There's somebody else out there. Those people out there struggling PTSD don't give up on that. Don't, don't just say, okay, well, I, I tried the counseling thing and it didn't work. Well, that, just because that one didn't work doesn't mean that you won't find the right one that will work. So the other point too is for my fellow brothers and sisters in blue out there in law enforcement that think... That civilians should be disarmed and only law enforcement should have it. There's a very few out there. Uh, Yeah, this gentleman right here is uh, exactly one of the reasons exactly why civilians should totally be armed, because they're not just there to uh, uphold the Constitution and keep our government from turning into a tyranny, but they're also there for personal protection, theirs and ours.
3: Great point, Matt. Great point. Um, educated and armed citizenry is our true Homeland security yep. and our fourth check and balance of a constitutional Republic. Yes.
1: yes Very true. Absolutely. How can um, people learn more about your photography business? Maybe, uh, you know, give you business that way and, uh, stalk you, follow you.
0: Stalk me, follow me. Um, so you can find me on Facebook, Thomas Yoxel. Um, I don't really post anything personal to that, but all my photography work ends up there okay. um, through various posts. If people want to follow me on Instagram, because I know this is a uh, social media connected world, it's sure shot photo. Um, uh, I also have sure shot productions on Instagram, which is all my, uh, tactical photography, uh, gun match photography and everything. Um, I- I'm not hard to find. They type my name in and oh, look at that ugly mug. It's Thomas. <laughs> I always tell people have camera will travel. So nice.
2: Very
3: it's
1: cool. been, yeah, it's been awesome having you on. We really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time and telling your story to our, our listeners, our followers.
0: No, it's been a pleasure. Again, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to be your guest, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: It was great meeting you. Thank you
0: for being on the pleasure show. Pleasure to meet you again, too. Okay. Have, have a great day. Thanks. You, too.
1: There's a lot of sponsors that make this show possible, like Mantis. Make sure you check them out and give them your business.
2: This episode is brought to you by Mantis. Mantis X helps shooters suck less. Meet the Pressers is sponsored by Next Level Training, Sabre Red, Cutting Edge Bullets, the USCCA, McLean Corporation, ASP, Custom Poker Chip Company, Common Sense Self-Defense, and T1 Ammunition. Meet the Pressers is also generously supported by these fine companies, ranges, and our Patreon members. Thank you.
1: Thanks for watching the show. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, share, click the little bell, come on Patreon, help support us that way. Come to one of our classes or host us, we can come to you and do one of our courses at your location. So until next time, adieu. Thank you for watching Meet the Pressers.